The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verse number 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, if you'll go down to verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And I want to look at the first part of this passage once again. And this is really the only part that we're going to cover today. If you'll look at Matthew 27 and verse number 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him unto Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now down at verse number 11. Uh, and Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said unto them, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered to him never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now, in this message today, we come to the final condemnation of Jesus that led him to death. 
That is to the crucifixion of Roman cross where Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. This is Jesus as we see him standing before Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. And before this day is over, Jesus would be tortured and humiliated. He would be mutilated. His hands and his feet would be driven through with nails to a cross. And then he would be lifted up to hang in the hot Mediterranean sun like a piece of butcher's meat, hardly unrecognizable as human. The whole tale of the crucifixion of Christ is just utterly repulsive. We can't really understand how is it that people would do such things. How, how did this ever get this far? When Jesus went through a trial here, a Roman trial, in which he was judged to be innocent, and yet at the end of the day, he's still condemned to go to the cross. Well, the circumstances of the history of this and the history of it, it makes it utterly fascinating because Pilate did everything that he could to get rid of Jesus. He did everything that he could to get rid of the responsibility of crucifying an innocent man, even coming to the point that he asked, what shall I do with Jesus? And he was just totally perplexed about what to do. And in the end, he succumbed to his self-interest and his self-preservation, and he decided that it was better for him that he kept his position with Rome rather than to let this innocent man go free. And we look at this and we think how ironic it is that what Pilate tried to do by crucifying Jesus was to keep the peace when in fact he crucified the Prince of Peace. Now what I'd like for us to do first today is to set the stage for our scripture reading. Uh, Let's first look at the cause that Jesus stood before Pilate, the cause of the proceedings. Now the time of this is very early on Thursday morning of the Passion Week. In fact, very early. It's about 5 a.m. It's an hour in which we would never see any of our officials acting in an official capacity. Uh, There aren't any courts that are open at 5 a.m., but this one was because this was a very urgent matter. And perhaps we wouldn't think that it's really too urgent for Pilate or from his point of view, but it is urgent in God's scheme of redemption and the plan of redemption that he put into place before this world was ever created. Now we look at this and in our view of time, we would say, oh, it takes thousands of years for this all to come to fruition, that God created the world so many thousands of years ago, and then he had this plan that Jesus would be crucified, and all of these things take place over time, and it takes a long time to get there. And we wonder why it is that we come down here to the very end, and now we find out in God's eternal plan that even seconds matter. And this is because Jesus was to be put on the cross at the time that God is ready to make his move. Not a second can be wasted. It is a planned hour. Jesus must be on the cross at the exact time. He must be crucified at the same time that the Passover lambs are being slain in Jerusalem. And so the trials of Jesus have to be done and over with. Jesus had to be condemned at the right time, and he must hang on that cross and then be taken down from the cross on this very day before nightfall. Now you remember that in the early hours of the morning, Jesus was put on trial by the Jewish authorities. He was arrested about midnight. He was taken to Annas, who was the former high priest, for an indictment. 
But Annas was unable to secure the charge against Jesus. Jesus would not incriminate himself. And so failing to find a cause of death in him, Annas decided to usher him over to Caiaphas, who was the current high priest. And Caiaphas questioned Jesus. He called for false witnesses to incriminate him. But each time Jesus refused to answer all of the charges. And through all of that questioning and the accusations, Jesus sat there stone-cold silent. And that frustrated Caiaphas and it enraged him so that Caiaphas finally put him under an oath and he commanded him to answer, Are you truly the Son of God? Now his question actually amounts to this, Are you God? And Jesus was ready to answer that question because he was willing to facilitate his own condemnation. Jesus had a date with the cross. He was going to go there at the right time. He was determined to be delivered there at the right time. And so he did answer this question when Caiaphas asked, and he gave a striking and a graphic answer. He said, yes, I'm going to be sitting on a throne of power and coming in the clouds of glory. And that gave Caiaphas the charge that he needed. He claimed to be God, and so immediately Caiaphas arose and he charged him with blasphemy. Now, Jewish law penalized blasphemy with death. And that was the long-time objective, to finally get some kind of a charge against Jesus for which they could kill him. So now they have that charge. They have a legal reason. The charge legitimized the arrest that was made the night before. And so now they need to... Get that charge before the full body of the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin is the official Jewish court. The verdict came at night. That trial was illegal because they weren't supposed to meet at night. And so in order to make everything to appear kosher, they met, met the next morning, and there they put the rubber stamp in the day court on that very, in this very brief meeting, they put a rubber stamp on the decision that was made at night, and so now the verdict is verified. But they have a problem. The Jews had long ago lost the right to execute criminals. That's a right that was reserved to Rome. And since this was a capital case, they would have to take another step, that Jesus must be taken to Pilate in order to get a Roman death sentence. And so we come here to verse number 2 in our text, and it is very early in the morning. Nobody has slept through the entire night, and then Jesus is brought before Pilate. And at this point is where Matthew stopped, and he included this interlude, the story of what happened to Judas and what he did after the verdict was given about Jesus in the Jewish court. And there's a reason that Matthew put the story there, because he wants us to keep, he wants us to see, and he keeps showing us the abundant proof that Jesus was innocent, that there were no just charges, There were three phases of a Jewish trial in which there were no just charges. And then Judas came and he recanted that he had betrayed the innocent blood. And so every time that somebody comes in contact with Jesus, he's found to be innocent. We'll come to Pilate. And no less than five times, Pilate declared him to be innocent. And then there's Pilate's wife who said, don't have anything to do with that just man. She, in effect, said that he's innocent. Then we'll come to a thief that's hanging on a cross with him. And that thief will turn to him and and will declare him to be innocent. And then at the very end, as Jesus is crucified, a Roman soldier looked up to him and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And Matthew 
just piles on the evidence in every venue by every person that ever came in contact with Jesus. They found him guilty of nothing but grace and truth. And we need to keep that in our minds. We wouldn't need all of these details in order to get Jesus to the cross. I mean, God could have just allowed some twist of fate to get him there. But that's not what God does. He, he, he takes time to show us there is no doubt that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he is the just dying for the unjust, that the innocent did take the place of the guilty, and we go free because the spotless Lamb of God fulfilled all of those Old Testament types, that he would be the last Lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, who's able to take away sin forever. So this is the cause that Jesus stands before Pilate. Now the narrative resumes at verse number 11, and Jesus is brought to Pilate to receive the condemnation that will put him on the cross. And that will achieve the objective the Jews so badly wanted. But before we go on with the story of the trial, we need to know a little bit about the background of Pilate. And that will help us to understand why Pilate did what he did. You see, there's actually a back story here that converges to make the cross happen. That God not only controls the plan of Jesus going to the cross, but he controls all the contingencies in that plan that make it happen. Now, we just read the complete narrative a few minutes ago, and we understand by reading that that Pilate was very reluctant about this. He had the power to release Jesus. There's no doubt that he believed that he was innocent. And we see later that he very clearly knew why the Jews had brought Jesus to him. And Pilate was never disposed to do the Jews any favors. I mean, they, they were a despicable people to him. He would have liked nothing better than to tell this crowd to turn around and take a hike. But why didn't he? I mean, why didn't he just thumb his nose at these Jews whom he didn't like anyway and say, you know, just go your own way. I'm not going to let you make a mockery of justice. And why didn't he just show them that Roman justice is so superior to what they were about to do? I mean, he considered these people to be barbarians, and yet with that thought in his mind, how much that he didn't like the Jews, he cracked, and he went against what he wanted to do, and he gave in to their will. Why? Well, let's take a look at Pilate, and let's see what happened to make him give this nonsensical judgment. I noticed that I gave you the blanks on your listening sheet for this next one, so you can thank me for that. Uh, and that is the character of Pilate. Number two is the character of Pilate. Who is this man, Pilate? Well, his name is Pontius Pilate. He was appointed as the prefect of Judea in AD 26. The, the emperor Tiberius had appointed him, and he appointed him actually through a friend of Pilate's friend put in a good word for him. And Pilate certainly needed a friend through all of this. He needed some kind of protection because he so badly bungled the relationships that he had with the Jews. Now, most of what we know about Pilate comes from the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus, and then also what we read in the New Testament. And Josephus pictured him as a very headstrong, authoritarian type. That he was a very practical man, he was a thinker, and yet he was incapable of deciding when he might have carried a matter too far. And it might interest you to know that in AD 36, just a, 
two or three years after the crucifixion of Jesus that Pilate was ordered back to Rome to answer charges of cruelty and of oppression and that he actually executed people without fair trial. Now that sounds strangely familiar to us, doesn't it? Pilate was the procurator of Judea. That means that he was in charge of the military presence there, Rome's military presence. So he's the one who's in charge of the region. He's there to keep the peace. He's supposed to keep everybody in line, to keep things quiet, so that Rome doesn't have to worry about this little outlying country in their empire. They just don't need to worry about what goes on there. So Pilate was charged with keeping the peace. And Pilate was the head of that region, although you may remember from your scripture studies that there are other little despots that are there. There's actually four tetrarchs who are called the Herods. These are relatives of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is the one who tried to murder Jesus at his birth. And one of these Herods will come up just a little bit later in our story here. We'll talk about him next week. Uh, The Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. And he has a part in this story as well. So there's all these little small-timers that were mostly for show. They're figureheads, much like the Queen of England. They didn't have very much power, but they sure did feel like big shots. But the real authority in all of this, the real authority of that region at the time is Pilate. And at the time that Jesus was brought before him, Pilate had been the governor for about seven years. He was a very unpopular man. Three years after Jesus' death, he was removed and sent to Gaul. Gaul is modern-day France. And as badly as the Romans hated the Jews in Palestine, they hated Gaul. That was barbaric to them. And so being sent to Gaul was a step down. That was actually like uh, being in exile. And so while Pilate was there, he committed suicide. Now, it's very interesting that Judas and Pilate both declared Jesus to be innocent. Both of them were complicit in his death, and both of them committed suicide. Well, Pilate never did have very good relationship with the Jews. From day number one, when he became the leader, the governor there, he was on bad footing with them, and and it stayed that way throughout his whole tenure. He angered the Jews from the very first time that he was appointed As the governor, on the very first day when he came to Jerusalem, he caused a problem. Now, he arrived in Jerusalem with great power, with great pomp and circumstance, with a great show of power. And his army came in bearing staffs where they had an image of Caesar that was on the top of their staffs. Now, normally, the the, the Romans would have a staff that had a banner and had an eagle at the top. But I suppose that... Pilate wanted to go a step further, and he wanted to show the power of Rome, and he wanted to show his allegiance to Caesar, and so he put an image right there on the top of that staff, and he had his, his soldiers carry in these images of Tiberius Caesar as he went into Jerusalem. And you can imagine what the Jews thought about that. They'd, they'd long ago rejected the worship of idols, and uh, idols is what, are, are what caused them to go into captivity. So by the time of Jesus, the Jews are very strictly monotheistic. They upheld the Ten Commandments, and that meant that any image was a false god, and the Romans were well known for calling Caesar a god. Now, previous Roman leaders were sensitive to how the Jews felt about this, and so Rome wanted to keep peace with everybody, so they're not going to provoke the people that they rule over. 
But this is what Pilate did. He had those images of Caesar up there, and now the people are incensed about what he had done. Pilate cared nothing at all about the diplomacy of it. He wasn't a diplomat. And so he rode into Jerusalem with those images held high. And before you could say, Hail Mary, he had a problem. He's got a riot on his hands. Oh, the Jews had become so enraged that for five days they followed Pilate as he went towards Caesarea. That's 60 miles away from Jerusalem. Caesarea was the place of government for the Romans uh, at that time, not Jerusalem. And so for five days, Pilate was headed towards Caesarea, and these Jews were following him all the time, yelling and screaming and demanding that Pilate take down these images of Caesar. Well, after listening to that for so long and getting into Caesarea, the seat of the Roman government, after hearing that day after day after day, that Pilate was through listening to all these, this howling and crying, about those images. And so finally he was so outraged by it that he said, gather them all up, gather up all of these protesters and take them into the amphitheater of Caesarea. And they did. And then Pilate went in to address them and he said, if you don't shut up, I'm going to take off your heads. Well, we're talking about tight, wound up Middle Easterners here, folks. And so they went like this. They each took their finger and their collar and pulled it to the side and said, cut it off. Well, when they did that, Pilate was kind of backed into a corner. He's supposed to keep the peace. He thought he had the upper hand, but he thought he could prevail, but he was backed into a corner. And so in his first act of governor, what he was about to do was to destroy the peace. That's not good for Rome. And so now Pilate, very defiantly, and wanting to kill each and every one of those Jews, backed down. And he took the images of Caesar down. So he got rid of the images, but he never got rid of the animosity. Well, Pilate wasn't done with his unwise decisions. That first incident set the tone for what his rule would be like. So the next thing that he decided to do was to build an aqueduct in Jerusalem that was near to the temple. Now, where do you think he might have got the funds to build that aqueduct? Well, sitting right over there in the temple were millions of shekels. And so what Pilate did was he raided the temple treasury in order to build the aqueduct. Oh, and you can imagine what the Jews thought about that one. I mean, the whole Jewish leadership was incensed. And we know the reason, one of the reasons that they had Jesus there to be crucified in the first place was because he'd shut off their money supply. They loved this money that they accumulated at the temple. And now Pilate comes along and he steals the money that they stole from the people. So nobody's happy here. So you have two incidents where Pilate enraged the Jews until the passions are just boiling over. But there's a third incident, and this one actually has more bearing on the outcome of the trial, and this says more about why that Pilate actually caved in to the demands of the Jews. Now, in the third incident, Pilate had taken up residence in Jerusalem, and when he did, he had shields inscribed with the name Tiberius. Now, to the Jews, that inscription was tantamount still to the worship of false gods, so they demanded that Pilate take down the shields. But this time, Pilate was defiant. No way he was going to do it. He's not giving in to the Jews another time. But unfortunately for him, this incident got reported to Tiberius in Rome. Now, Rome was all about the peace. And the last thing that Tiberius wanted to do was to be bothered with this little podunk country out on the 
fringes of the empire. And he didn't want to be worried about all of that, so he demanded that Pilate take down those shields immediately. So now Tiberius has his eye on Pilate, and it's not in a good way because Pilate has become an irritation to him. So at this point, Pilate's walking on eggshells. He could ill afford that another bad report would go to Caesar. And folks, this definitely has coloring on the decision that he made about Jesus. Now let me give you one more because this one's recorded in the Bible. It's very brief and it's incidental to some teachings that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 13. And in the first verse of Luke 13, there's a very brief mention of Pilate's cruelty. It says here, There were present at that season some that told him, that is, told Jesus. There were some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, there are many people, many Jews that were put to death in Galilee. And the cause is not known for this particular incident. But Pilate was angry enough at these Jews that he desecrated their sacrifices. He killed the ones who made the sacrifices. And then he mingled their blood with the animals on the altar. Now, there is just no way that Pilate was popular. He couldn't have done anything worse than if he taxed the people for unaffordable health care. So he made these big mistakes and... He was just dealing with, the, with these Jews. And, and here are these Jews once again, and they're clamoring for, for, for this, this thing of killing Jesus. And now standing before Pilate is another opportunity to make a horrible mistake. So what is he to do with Jesus? He wanted to let him go. He didn't want to appease the Jews. He, he, he wanted to keep his job, though. He couldn't afford to make a bad decision, and this would come to the ears of Caesar. So that gives you an idea of the character of Pilate. This is why he's trapped at this trial. And I have to say that all of these circumstances and all the dilemmas that are gone through here, these are things that don't happen unless God is in control of history. Do you understand this? The Roman governor of Judea has to be this kind of a man before Jesus, the innocent man, would be crucified. Incidental things are not incidental when we're talking about the sovereign God. Well, thirdly, we need to look at the charges against the Prince of Peace. How are the Jews going to get this innocent man crucified? Well, there's a question asked in verse number 11. Pilate asked, Art thou the king of the Jews? Well, that's an odd question, isn't it? Where, where do we see anything in the narrative thus far that would prompt Pilate to ask a question like this. Jesus appeared before him beaten and bruised. Uh, he already was bloody and, and from that beating of the Jewish trial on the night before, his clothes were probably dirty and torn. He was a mess of a man. And Pilate looked at that pitiful man standing before him and he said, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate might have been a poor governor, but history never attests that he was irrational. Oh, his question is obviously mockery. He asked it wryly with a smirk. But we have to say, what is it that prompted the question? There's no information here. Nothing here to tell us why he would ask. So we have to look elsewhere for that answer. Matthew doesn't give us details. He only gives us systematic evidence of Jesus' innocence. Now, when you study the passages in the Bible about the trial and the crucifixion of Christ, it's really good for you to have handy a book 
or maybe a computer module that has the same thing, which is called a harmony of the Gospels. And a harmony of the Gospels puts all of the Gospel accounts together, puts all the stories together, so you read them side by side, and you get all of the facts in the case, and you see everything that takes place. So that gives you a comprehensive look at what happened in these trials and in the crucifixion. So we have to go other places, and we go to Luke 23 and also to John 18. Now, I'd like you to turn to your Bible, if you would, uh, first of all, to John 18. And I want you to see this, because here we see the, the blatant hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders beginning to rise to the surface. John chapter 18 and in verse number 28, we're, we're picking up and we're in the same story, of course, and we're just getting more details of what takes place. And in that 28th verse, it says, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they may eat the Passover. So it was early, as I told you, very early in the morning. The Jews took Jesus to Pilate. It's early on the morning of the Passover, and they came to the judgment hall, but they wouldn't go in. They were too holy to go in. Contact with Gentiles, that's forbidden. Gentiles are defiling. Uh, you can't get too close to Gentiles, especially at the Passover time. And so if they went into Pilate's judgment hall, they would have been defiled and they wouldn't have been eligible to eat the Passover. So it's okay for them to lie, to cheat, to steal, and to murder, but you have to be extra careful about getting cooties from the Gentiles. So they weren't going to go in there. They They weren't going into the judgment hall, and so Pilate had to come out. And so he came out on the porch, and he stood above the people in order to address them. Now remember that Pilate already has an inkling of why they're there. On the previous night, they'd come to him and they'd ask for some soldiers to arrest a seditionist. And so Pilate comes out on the porch and I'm sure he's wondering, well, did they get him? What's the outcome of this? I sent the soldiers in the night. Did they actually get this person who's trying to overthrow the government? So he's there at 5 a.m. and this Jewish leadership comes to the judgment hall and Pilate stepped out on the porch and he said, what is the accusation? Verse 29 in John 18, Pilate then went out unto them and said, what accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, if he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. He is a male factor. That's a word that means that he is a criminal. Three times that word is used in Luke to refer to criminals. The ones who were crucified with Christ, they were called male factors. So they said, he is a male factor. We wouldn't have brought him to you if he was not a criminal. Now, we know why they brought him. They convicted him of blasphemy. He said, I am God. But when they brought him to Pilate, they didn't say, well, he's guilty of blasphemy. Not at first. They didn't say that because they know that blasphemy does not interest Pilate. He's not going to hear that charge. Blasphemy, that's Roman uh, Jewish law. That's not Roman law. So they don't come to Pilate and say, he is guilty of blasphemy. But they do have charges. Now let's go over to Luke 23. If you would, turn to Luke 23. Hold on to John 18 because we'll be back. As a famous another governor said, we'll be back. And uh, we're going to find out some more about John 18. Now, the Jews need charges in order to satisfy Rome. They're determined to kill him. They're not going to leave any lie unturned in order to do this. 
So in Luke 23, they make three charges against Jesus. Now let's note the charges. Luke 23, verse number 1. And the whole multitude of them rose and led him unto Pilate. Now you see by the, what we're reading here, this is the same time, same things happening, happening here in, in Matthew and John and Luke. They're bringing him to Pilate. So and the whole multitude of them rose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. So what are the charges that are made? Number one, he is perverting the nation. Oh, he's not just a problem in Judea. He's a problem everywhere. Now, wait a minute. He's a problem everywhere? Wouldn't you love to have this problem? He healed people, and he cast out demons, and he raised people from the dead, and he did it 24-7. You mean that he perverted the nation by casting out demons? Do you mean that demon possession is better than sitting with all your clothes on and you're no longer a cutter? Oh, of course, you knew that, didn't you? Let me stop for just a moment to sermonize, if I might. What do people say about Christianity? What's wrong with the religious right? We pervert the nation, don't we? We're perverting the nation. Uh, we're, we're restricting freedom. We want to restrict rights. And what rights do we want to restrict? Oh, we want to restrict the right to destroy the basic fabric of society by perverting marriage. Oh, we, we, we want to restrict the right to kill babies. We restrict the right to kill old people and blow your brains out with legalized drugs. We restrict the right of deviance with male organs to wear female clothes. That it's all right to have a fake bust along with your scrubbly beard. Oh, we, we uh, pervert the right for children to be indoctrinated with books about two mommies and two daddies as if that's as normal as combining peanut butter and jelly. We're perverting the nation, aren't we? Go figure that one, folks. We are perverting the nation... Can you imagine what it would be like if today's crowd was in control? What would they do with Jesus? What would today's crowd do with Jesus? I mean, what would, the, what would, the, what would you see of the tolerance of the GLBTQRXYZ or whatever they are? What, what, what tolerance would you see there with them over Jesus? Charge number two, he forbids to give tribute to Caesar. Oh, wait, wait just a minute. The Jews hate Caesar. I mean, they refuse to carry Roman coins in their pocket because they have an image of Caesar, and they consider that, that's idolatry. And now they come with this charge. They grit their teeth because of Roman occupation. Now they complain he forbids to give taxes to Caesar. Now, you have to know that Pilate was too smart to believe that. I mean, this is, this is a weird charge for the enraged Jews to make. Oh, it's a weird charge, but the question is, is it true? Did he really do that? Well, didn't they already directly ask him this question? Let, let's, uh, let's turn to Mark number 12. You, you need all your fingers and your toes and your scriptures today to hold on to them. So uh, do that. Keep all the places because we're moving around here. Mark chapter 12. And uh, this issue is specifically addressed when they tried to get Jesus to break either the Roman law and to anger the Romans or break the Jewish law, or uphold Roman law and anger the people. So they, they think they've got Jesus in a trap here. 
Jesus is too smart for them, so he answers the question about Roman taxation. Mark 12, verse 14. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teacheth the way of God in truth. And all of that is just a bunch of baloney right there. Uh, they're just trying, you know, they're, they're building them up here, and they're, it, it's, a, it's a bruise, all of it. And say, they say, is it lawful? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is the image and the superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Oh, that charge was a brazen lie, but they hoped that Pilate would believe the lie. You see, one of Pilate's major, major jobs as the governor is to collect the taxes to make sure that Rome gets their share. So they played on Pilate's sworn duty. He can't let Jesus go if he subverts Roman taxes. And then there's charge number three. He says that he is a king. That's a charge of insurrection. He's trying to pass himself off as a king in order to subvert Rome's authority. So they're saying, Pilate, you can't let him go. You can't let him go because he's trying to get all of us together to overthrow Rome. Now, Pilate must have heard this like these people are from Mars. He can't believe his ears. These are people that hate Rome. They could only wish that somebody could get them together and lead them against Rome and overthrow Rome and get rid of it. And they think that Pilate is just too stupid not to buy the ruse. But Pilate has this problem, doesn't he? He can't afford to take a chance. He has to investigate. He can't let an accused seditionist go free without checking it out. And when we get to the story of Barabbas a little bit later on, we'll look at the irony of that. So now, go back to Matthew 27, verse 11, in our text verse. And Jesus stood before the governor... And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And so now we know why Pilate asked the question, Are you the king of the Jews? They'd planted the idea in his head. And then after hearing the unbelievable, he looked at Jesus with a very wry smile, and he said, Are you a king? And that's a mocking question. Jesus looked nothing at all like a king. And he wasn't nearly as serious as the answer that he got back. Jesus said, Thou sayest. Jesus gave that same type of answer at the Jewish trial. It's not an evasive answer, it's an affirmative answer. Yes, I am a king. Now let's go back to John 18. There's more going on here that Matthew doesn't tell. And this part we're going to read actually takes place prior to what we read a moment ago, and it has to do with the charges that are made. Before they made those charges, Pilate had in his mind why they were there. The reason they're there is they have a point of Jewish law, not a point of Roman law. So verse 29 again, John 18, Pilate then went out unto them and said, what accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, if he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. 
The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now, Pilate doesn't want anything to do with this mess. He tried to push it all back on the Jews. And he said, You take him and you do with him what you want. Well, they wanted to kill him. But Roman law says you can't execute. So they said, it's not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now suddenly here they become devotees to Roman law. How, how strict was Roman law about putting people to death? Well, apparently they were too strict because these very same people, you remember, just a little while later, they stoned Stephen to death, didn't they? The very same people. And nobody said you couldn't do it. Nobody came after them because they did it. And the reason that they didn't, because Rome preferred not to get involved in these little skirmishes with the Jews, as long as it didn't affect Roman citizenship. Now, where you see Rome getting involved would be like with Paul at the temple. They came and rescued him there. That was their story, at least. They came and rescued him because he was a citizen of Rome. But they don't care whether the Jews are out here knocking each other in the head. They're not really concerned about that. So... These Jews are not above testing Roman law. So if Pilate was willing to give Jesus back, then why didn't they just gleefully take him and stone him to death? Well, we have, we have a superior and inferior reasons. First, I'll give you the inferior. They didn't want to be blamed for Jesus' death. Jesus was too popular. If they could get Rome to do it, then they could always step back and they say, well, Rome found him guilty. They're the ones that said he was, uh, he was guilty, he's to blame. They found him to be a criminal, blame them. They killed him. We still have the same thing today, don't we? Blame them, they killed him. But later, everybody's willing to share the blame. The common people even were ready to crucify him. Everybody wanted to share it. That's the inferior reason. At first, they didn't want the blame. Here's the superior reason, though. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It's not lawful for us to put any man to death. Verse 32. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Didn't Jesus predict the way that he would be crucified, or that he would be crucified? Before they ever went to Jerusalem, he told the disciples what would happen. That's in Matthew 20. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed under the chief priests and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. In the Old Testament, it said that he would be crucified. One thousand years before... David wrote in the Psalms about Roman crucifixion before a Roman was ever heard of. Before Roman execution became, or the cross became a common form of execution with the Romans, David was already writing about it and said, this is the way it's going to happen. And then Jesus, you remember, spoke to Nicodemus and he said, I must be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. That serpent of brass was lifted up in the time of Moses. And there Jesus was talking about crucifixion on the cross. And so the superior reason why the Jews did not stone him was because this is God's plan. He must go to the cross to be crucified. And there is no reason why Jesus would end up on a cross except God's plan. The Jews could have killed him, but they delivered him to the Gentiles. And then think about this as well. Why couldn't the Jews stone him? Well, stoning's very effective for killing people, isn't it? Sure it is. They did that for centuries. 
They stoned people, but the Jews could not stone Jesus Christ. And that's because in stoning, there are multiple bones that are broken. And the Scripture said about Jesus, there is no bone of His that will ever be broken. He's the Passover lamb. He must be killed. His blood must be spilled out. And so stoning is impossible. He has to be the Passover lamb. Jesus must die this way. He must be crucified. He must suffer the shame of the cross. The blood must freely flow for the cleansing of our sins. And you need to understand it clearly. Jesus made all efforts to get to the cross. He was questioned, but he never responded to false accusations. But when the truth was asked of him, he was willing to state that truth even though he knew it hastened his own death. God's timetable must be kept. He must die when and how God said that he would die. And you need to know that because if Scripture is wrong, then everything that God has written in his word is suspect. This has to be done exactly the right way because Jesus cannot lie. Every detail must be fulfilled down to the intimate, intimate words and sentences of everything that has been said. He will go to the cross. He's not going to a rock quarry. Well, there are two more phases of Roman trial to go through. And each time, and each time they found him to be innocent. Jesus has to come to the cross. He must die with the lambs in Jerusalem. The Prince of Peace will be condemned even though he was declared to be innocent. Are you a king, Pilate said, and Jesus answered that question, yes, I am a king. Well, now we wonder, how could Jesus answer yes to that question and yet not be accused of insurrection? We'll come back to that next week and we'll find out why. What am I to do about Jesus? That's a dilemma for Pilate. He should have gone free. He's pure and white as the driven snow. He is perfectly innocent. He should have gone free. Let me just end the message this morning with this contrast. He should have gone free. And you should go to the cross. He should have gone free and every one of us should go to the cross. But he was the one that was crucified and you're the one that is set free. Why is that? It all depends on how you answer that question. What do I do with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we do thank you for Jesus Christ. He had an appointment at the cross. He was determined to go. And when he went... He had in his mind every single person that would believe in him. He knew that the sacrifice had to be made, that sin must be dealt with. Before any of us could ever come into the presence of God, that sin has to be dealt with. And Jesus did that on the cross when he died for sin. Lord, I pray that you'd open the eyes of some person today to help them to realize that Jesus has paid that, that price for them if they will just but believe in him. Lord, I just pray that you'd open their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ and see this great sacrifice that has made the, the sure determination of Jesus to save his people from their sins. Show someone the gospel today. Lord, as Christians, help us to be ever mindful of what Jesus went through for us. 
We haven't even got to the place of talking about the crucifixion itself, and yet we see Jesus so determined, taking beatings and never lying, and when he could have escaped, he never would. And he did that for us because he loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.